0: Hello, Hope Church, and welcome to a new year, a new recording location, and so many new things that we are so excited about. Uh, I've been telling people as we move into 2022, I don't really know what God is doing, but man, am I excited to be part of it. And so that's where we're going to start this evening. We are going to start as we begin this new year, uh, as we maybe the last week or two, you've been thinking through goals and plans for what 2022 is going to look like or Maybe you've looked at the last couple years and said, let's not get too ahead of ourselves just yet. Whatever it is, that's what we are going to talk about through this month of January. We are going to stop and take a look at something that I feel is very, very important to do regularly. Let me explain why. We moved down here, my wife and I, and there was a team of people. Some of them are still here and we moved down to the Charleston area, Somerville specifically. And for the preceding two or three years leading up to that, I knew God had called us to be church planners. And so I did so much research and and planning and, and talking to people and talking to other church planners and meeting church planners here and pastors. And I was so excited and I had notebooks full of plans and strategies and how do we do this? And we were planning on coming down and we'd been part of a church plant in Virginia for five or six years and we were just excited overall, and and I had all these plans, and I was so excited, and I knew uh, what I thought was what God wanted us to do, and I thought I had, like, figured out this strategy of how do you make a church and grow it to over a thousand people in just a few years, and uh, we moved here, and we had met Neil McGlowan, who's been here, uh, and preached for us a couple different times, somebody that we just really look up to, and uh, Craig Tuck, and Clay Jernigan, and Will Browning and Will Oswald and all these guys, and they had kind of helped us to to focus in on what we were going to do. And there was this training that Neil McGlowan did um, for church planners and existing churches called Cypress Project. And I went to the first one, and I just thought I was so smart, and I knew everything that had to do with church planning. And then at some course in that first part of the training, he said, have you made a bunch of plans and hope God comes along with you? Or have you just sat back and said, God, what are you doing? And how do I partner with you? And that hit me so hard. It hit me like a sledgehammer in the stomach because I had not done that. I thought I had figured out this incredible way to build the church as fast as possible because that's what God wanted. But when Neil said that, it really hit me. And I continue to go back to that regularly because it's very easy to jump ahead and think this is awesome and this is good and there's all high numbers and you can add whatever you want to it but have we really stopped and said God what are you doing? And I literally went and just took all those binders and folders and notebooks and things I'd been to all these conferences over and closed them up and started praying God what are you doing? So as we begin a new year it is easy to set up goals and things we want to do. In fact, I encourage it. I think it's wonderful to do and to make these goals and to try to figure out how, are, how is this year going to be different than next. What I want to do tonight is to take some time aligning what we want to do with what God is doing. What is the mission of God? How do we know what God is doing? And how do we partner with him? Something that Neil said is, God is always on the move. I don't know how I had never thought of that before. The entire Bible is about how God is always on the move, whether there are humans created yet or not. That God is always doing something. The entire story of the Bible is that God was doing something and was inviting sinful human beings into being partners with him in what he was doing. And whether they partnered with him or not, Jesus is the only perfect person in the entire Bible. Jesus is the only perfect person in the history of mankind. But apart from that, God used sinners like you or me to partner with him to accomplish his mission. So, if God is always on the move, do we try to do what we want and hope he comes with us, or do we seek him out and see what he is doing and join with him? You see, God's will is not some mysterious thing that we have to hunt down like in some movie where they're hunting and they have to put all these clues together and figure out the right number and where the sun is and all of those things. God's will is written out for us. It's what the entire Bible points to and he's given it to us as his written word. And He's telling us all through it, this is what I want you to do. But it's somewhat normal that we want to skip the journey and get right to the destination. We want to figure out how do we teleport into what God has for us and not walk through life seeing over and over again how God was preparing us for what he has for us next. And it may not be something long down the road. It may be the next morning when we wake up. So how do we stop? How do we how do we begin this year in taking time to pause and to focus on, okay, God, what is your mission? What are these things that you've told me to do all along that somehow in the busyness of life I've forgotten or lost focus on? Like I said, since the beginning of creation, God has invited mankind to partner with him in what he is doing. But too often we come up with our own plan and hope God comes with us. Please understand that God should never be the co-pilot in our life. God is never the co-pilot in our family. God is never the co-pilot in our church. God is the one that's on the move. We should call out to him, what are you doing and how do I partner with you so i want to invite you to turn to the book of jonah the book of jonah it's pretty uh funny i think it was the week before christmas um we were doing the advent series through the children's bible with our two boys uh we had some friends over and it was on the book of jonah and that led to a long discussion afterwards about jonah and uh, i thought boy you know it's i don't know that i've ever preached through the book of jonah or talked about it uh Four and a half years ago, Will did a short series uh, on the book of Jonah at our church, and most of you weren't there at the time for that. And so I thought, let's just start in Jonah, because I think Jonah is such a clear picture uh, of who we are, of who I am, who you are, maybe these battles that we find ourselves in quite regularly, especially when we're talking about what is the mission of God. So jump into the book of Jonah, and we are going to, I'm going to read and summarize and talk through as we go through it really quickly. So Jonah chapter one, starting in verse one. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Most of you are maybe wondering, what is Nineveh? Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And I wish I had the time to go into it and I wish you could fully understand what a horrible, horrible place this was. Uh, the evil that was surrounded with Nineveh and what took place. If you think of the worst stories you see on the news of what's happening in a country far away, and you think, oh, how could it ever be worse? Nineveh was probably worse. The things that they did there, what what they would do to people. Um, the, the Assyrians are the one who invented what the Romans would perfect, if you will, into crucifixion. The torture and the Just the atrocities to mankind that the Assyrians would cause and what they would do to their enemies and what they would do to anybody. And so God asking Jonah to go to Nineveh would seem like absolute craziness because of what the Assyrians, and specifically the people of Nineveh, would do to the Jewish people when they would come there. So Jonah has, understand this, if you know the story of Jonah, Jonah has a very good reason to be afraid of going to Nineveh. And now not only is he saying, go to the great city of Nineveh, he says, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Verse three, but Jonah ran away, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Understand these are in totally opposite places. You'd have to go over land to get to Nineveh. You would have to go by sea to get to Tarshish, across the entire Mediterranean Sea. And so Jonah thinks, I can run from God. Isn't that crazy? Who in the world would think they can run from God? You know, besides all of human beings. So he jumps on there, says, "Uh, then the Lord sent a great wind. He's on this boat, takes off, verse four. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Calamity. This is kind of like rolling dice, something that they would use uh, as as almost like a witchcraft way of being able to find out who was at fault. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all the trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, as a child going through this story, you think, what a valiant thing. It sounds like Jonah is willing to throw away his life or sacrifice his own life for the good of these other men the more i studied it and the more i would look at this it started to become more clear to me that jonah would see death as a better option death in a stormy sea is a better option than going to nineveh so quite possibly and in my belief is that this was just a cowardly action from jonah he tried running from the lord and realized he couldn't so his option was throw me into a stormy sea and it'll be over And that was what he thought was the best option. Verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah is running from the Lord, and if we want to look at this, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. We look at the grace of God over and over and over again. The story of Jonah to me isn't um, anything other than this big picture of God's grace. Why? He takes Jonah, he calls him to go to Nineveh. He runs. God gets his attention again, calls him back to himself. In the process, an entire boat of fearful sailors turn and worship the one true God, even though Jonah isn't really preaching. Jonah isn't doing anything except demonstrating rebelliousness and running away from God. And yet an entire group of sailors who are fear for their life realize the power of God and turn and worship him. They turn from their false god and worship him. Jonah's two is Jonah in the belly of the fish, and there's this prayer that he that he prays. And I just want to point out two verses that we're going to come back to. Uh, Verse eight, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Jonah, who was called a prophet and was representing the Lord, the one true God, comes to these realizations as he's spending three days in the belly of a really big fish. And one of them is those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. He was misrepresenting God's love to the people around him because his thing that he was really focusing was him. He was focused on himself and protecting himself above everything else. Therefore, he didn't understand God's love. Therefore, he was unable to show God's love to others. Verse 9, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say, Salvation comes from the Lord." That is what God had called him to go do. He refused to do. He got thrown overboard. A group of people that he wasn't preaching the Lord to, just telling them that he's running from him, turned to him as he's in the belly of a whale. And now he understands that he has been worshiping himself and that he needs to proclaim salvation is from the Lord. And verse 10, And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited drone onto dry land. Verse, chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Second chances. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. There was actually a main road that went all the way through Nineveh, and it was said to have taken three days to walk down this road. Not possibly because of the length, but because of all of the things on that road. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened." The entire city of Nineveh, from the ruler, the king of Nineveh, all the way down to the animals, understood God's power, demonstrated humility, demonstrated their faith in the way that they communicated with God in their prayer and their fasting. They called out and God relented and showed mercy. The greatest evangelistic meeting ever was held by Jonah. Possibly the worst prophet and evangelist ever. Why? Chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. That goes back to him on the side of the boat in the ocean saying, throw me overboard. He just wants to die. It's what we see, a continued theme in Jonah's life is, just let me die. Here he is, he sees an entire city of evil people turn to God. And his response is, God, I knew this is what you were going to do and he's angry and wants to die. That's why I call him the worst evangelist ever. The greatest salvation message ever, the greatest turnaround, and the person that delivered it wants to die and is upset that these people are experiencing the grace of God that he has been shown repeatedly. Verse four, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. The Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? That is quite possibly the strangest ending to any book in the Bible. It ends with, and also many animals, question mark. Jonah was more concerned about a plant that he did nothing, that God blessed him with, and then God took away. And that's what upset him to the point of death. We'll come back to that. So the question number one that I want to talk about, that we started at the beginning, number one, what is the mission of God? I hope you're taking notes write that down. What is the mission of God? God is doing something big in Nineveh and invites Jonah in. This time Assyria is the the biggest superpower. Uh, It's who was just going around capturing slaves and repopulating lands. Assyria was the big superpower uh, at this time. And God invites Jonah in and says, I'm calling you. Again, God is going to do what God is going to do. He doesn't need you, he doesn't need me. He invites us in to partner with him and join him in what he is doing. And Jonah runs. You run. I run. We're scared, there's too many things going on. And the real question is, we just have such a small view of the Almighty God. We don't believe that what God calls us to do, he is going to achieve. See, God is also calling all humans to himself. God is demonstrating his love over and over and over again. God demonstrates his grace and his mercy over and over and over again, and he's inviting you to be part of it, and he's inviting me to be part of it, to demonstrate to the world just how loving and how gracious and how powerful of a God he truly is. And that's what he's doing with Jonah, but Jonah Runs. So how do we align ourselves with God? How do we align ourselves with God? And it's first understanding what the mission of God is, what God wants to accomplish. Now, we're going to walk through these steps here with a couple other questions, but the rest of the month we're going to be talking about this. Then in February, we're jumping back into Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew 6 and 7, and we are going to continue to discuss this at length, examining spiritual disciplines in our life and how it is that we follow after God and just the uh, being faithful in just these everyday things. But I want to kind of paint a big picture right now as we walk through these Questions. You see, when it comes to aligning ourselves with God, we are always aligning our plans with a God. The question is, what God are you serving? Does the God that you're aligning your plans with begin with a lowercase G or a capital G? Are you aligning your plans with the God of the universe, the creator of all things? Or are you allowing or aligning your plans with God lowercase g? Maybe it's you. Maybe it's the fear of man. Maybe it's this, what do other people want from me? And I'm trying to please them as best as I possibly can. Question number one, or question number two, how do we identify what God is doing? We see the mission of God played out through the entire Bible. When we ask ourselves, what is the mission of God? The mission of God is to call all humanity to himself. It's the reason he sent his son to die, And it is the reason his son rose again is to make a way for him to have relationship with his created beings. So now how do I identify what God is doing in our lives? And again, we're going to go at this in length, but again, God is always on the move. God is always fulfilling his purpose to bring all mankind to himself. So how do we know what God is doing around us? Well, we can see the heart of God by looking at his very specific commands his very specific commands. And when we look at the Old Testament and the Torah and the commands, the 10 commandments that Moses brought down, and then Jesus summarizes all of these commands by quoting something in Deuteronomy where they summarized all of the commands. Remember they asked him, what is the greatest command? And he says, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on these all the law and the prophets rest. All the laws of God are summarized by just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. So when we're trying to align ourselves with God, that's where we start. How are we living out? Are we demonstrating our love for God through our heart, soul, mind? And how are we loving our neighbor? Who's our neighbor? Everyone. Your neighbor are the people that live next to you. Your neighbor are the people that you live with. Your neighbor neighbor are the people that you complain about on social media. Your neighbor are the people that you complain about that are on the news. Those are your neighbors. Love your neighbor as yourself. But your children and your spouse are also your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Secondly, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples, teaching them everything I have commanded you. Go! Go! Remember our discipleship chart, discipleship is both evangelism and and telling people about the love of Jesus and demonstrating in their lives and looking for ways to introduce them to Jesus, but also taking those who know Jesus and helping them move one step closer in their relationship with God. So go, get involved in the discipleship process. And then the New Testament continues to portray over and over and over again that the church The local body of believers is the body of Christ, but also the bride of Christ. And so we become active members and and participants and playing our role of the body of Christ in our local church. These are the places that we start when we are trying to align ourselves with God. When we want to identify what God is doing, this is where we start first. God's mission has stayed the same since the beginning. We can run and we can hide We can even come up with our own ideas and and good intentions. But the question is, does it match up with what God is doing and with what God has commanded us to do? Question number three. Are you listening and obeying or running and hiding? See, Jonah had the option to obey God. But he compromised what God clearly commanded with what was convenient and what made sense to him. He decided that it was in the best interest of Jonah to run to Tarshish. He decided that what was in the best interest of Jonah was to be thrown overboard and die. He decided that what was in the best interest of Jonah was to enter Nineveh, probably believing that he was going to die. And then, when Nineveh turns, he wanted to die. Now, fast forward, I think, about a hundred years. And Jonah, we don't know, but maybe Jonah could have become this incredible spiritual leader if he just followed what God wanted. We have no idea what happens to Jonah after this phrase and also many animals. No idea what happens to Jonah. The city of Nineveh turns to God and apparently follows God for a long time. Then in the book of Nahum, Nahum comes and he casts down judgment on Nineveh because they turned back to their old ways. So we see Jonah failed as a spiritual leader. He, kind of failed as a prophet, and he kind of failed as an obedient child of God. But our story is probably not much different. We have many forms of running and hiding. As much as I hear culture blamed, and it's easy to blame the current culture, it's always been the case with Satan since Adam and Eve. He's always given you something to hide from, to run to, try to give you better options that were just lies. We have so many things that we run to, so many entertainment options. Satan has always done this. So You have to ask yourself, are, are you running and hiding? Are you blatantly running and hiding? Another thing that sometimes we do is we replace what's best with what's good. See, Jonah could have sailed to Tarshish and got thrown overboard and looked back and said, you know, God, I didn't go to Nineveh, but look at I had an entire boat of sailors turned to you. So I still did pretty good. It wasn't what God told him to do. Our actions are telling of how big we think God is. Sometimes we replace what's best and what God's calling us with something that's good because it's convenient for us and and it's safe for us. But ultimately we, we are demonstrating that we just don't think God is as powerful as he really is. what god calls us to do as i said earlier we don't believe he's that powerful that he can really accomplish for us these things of of the great commission of of reaching our neighbors and our family with the love of christ jd greer in his book not god enough says what we think about god determines everything else in our lives what we value what we pursue and how we pursue it he goes on later in the book and says those of us who have grown up in a consumeristic Western culture envision an Americanized Jesus who is one part genie, one part fan club, one part financial advisor, one part American patriot, and several parts therapist. Our God makes us more narcissistic and materialistic, not less. We have excused what God so clearly communicates to us by allowing all of these other ideas, by allowing all of these other things that make sense to us and our comfort and our privilege. And that becomes our God. That becomes who we serve. And when we come to God's word, oftentimes when it's just most convenient for us, when we spend time in prayer, when we can piece it in, And God so clearly tells us how we should be living, we excuse it away because it just doesn't match up with this fake God, this false God, this false idol that we're truly serving. That brings me to question number four. Are you controlled by your comfort or by God's mission? You can't do both. Are you controlled by your comfort or by God's mission? Again, Jonah loved his shade plant more than the souls of lost people. Jonah loved this shade plant that he had no part in doing. We see God's mercy even in this. Apparently, possibly, Jonah wasn't gifted with a beautiful amount of hair on top of his head. And I've heard from friends that when you don't have a lot of hair on your head, you sunburn quite easily. I don't know this personally. But Jonah is out in the sun. Again, he's not in the city ministering where God called him to minister to. He's outside the city, east of it, watching. And he's watching to see if God's going to destroy it. He wants God to destroy this city. And so he's getting a ways back. He doesn't want to be part of the destruction. And he's furious that it's not being destroyed. And so God, again, demonstrates mercy by allowing this shade plant to grow and giving him some relief from the sun. He's giving him comfort in his rebelliousness. Jonah's not happy and so God takes it away, and Jonah's furious. And Jonah demonstrates what so many of us oftentimes live out, that our comfort's way more of a concern to us than the souls of human beings. Our emotions are very telling of what we truly care about. Our time, money, and relationships tell us more about ourselves than we care to admit question that I have been asking myself the last couple of weeks and we've all been through this weird time the last two years where it just is one thing after another and it hit me about a week ago how many friends and family members I've lost in the last two years and haven't really thought about it haven't spent time mourning about it and have really in a lot of ways not even shown any emotion about it and the question hit me when was the last time I shed a tear for the lost people in my life When was the last time that my emotions demonstrated that my biggest concern, my biggest care for this world was how do I help lost people know Jesus? How do I help people that know Jesus continue to grow with him? do I cry when I hear of another person went into eternity without knowing him? Do I shed a tear when I see my neighbors and just really don't do too much about it? So the gospel is... Always about humility and sacrifice, not comfort and privilege. Oftentimes we think, well, that's just going to be an awkward conversation, and I'll just keep praying. That's going to be an awkward conversation, or I never really cared much for that person, anyways, or I don't really know them. The gospel is always about humility and sacrifice, not comfort and privilege. Are you controlled by your comfort or by God's mission? When we stop and think about all the ways in the Bible we see God doing something according to his plan and how he invites others in. Ask yourself are you being sensitive to the Holy Spirit in your time of reading, praying and meditating? We're going to be talking a lot about spiritual disciplines as we work through Matthew 5 and 6. But think does, does God doesn't call us to always do something big? God isn't saying walk down Main Street in Somerville and he's going to turn the whole city to to himself. But he calls you and I to walk faithfully with him every day. Remember, we say this all the time. God is in the business of calling ordinary people to follow him faithfully and doing the things that only God can do. I want to look back at Jonah chapter 4 verses 1 through 2 says, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. We see the character of God. Jonah knew the character of God. And he's saying, I tried to put it off so that you would still destroy Nineveh. I knew there was a timeline ticking down from what you told me. So by going to Tarshish, I thought you'd just destroy Nineveh and I would never have to go there. But look at these characteristics. You are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. How do we live out these principles in our life as we, as we demonstrate who God is to us? Are these characteristics that are evident in our life as we, as we reach the people that are around us? Again, God's mission is to call all people to himself. Revelation that says that people of all tribes, nations, and languages will be called to himself. That's what heaven's going to look like. And, And we have to ask that, how are you? How am I? How are we as a church? How are we as the people of God, the capital C Church? How are we being attentive to what God is doing and how the Spirit is leading you to represent Jesus where you live, learn, work, and play? If this is the end goal, that God's going to call all mankind to Himself from every tongue, tribe, and nation, and He's inviting you and He's inviting me to be a part of it, and He's put together this church as a local body of believers to live out the body of Christ in action, how do we do it? Have we taken a step back before we plan out our goals and say, okay, God, what are you doing? About a year and a half ago, June of 2020, uh, we didn't know what was going on. We had just started meeting outside and I was stressing out and trying to figure out what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And it hit me. Be still and know that I am God. And so we got up and I preached, I think it was like the first weekend in June, maybe the second weekend, said, hey, we're just going to pray. God, what are you doing and how do we follow what you're doing? And so we did. And immediately, within two days, God opened up the doors for the grocery giveaway. God opened up all these different doors to start popping open. And we've just been walking through whatever door God pops open and says, let's try it out. If it works great, if not, we'll try something else. We had no idea we were talking as we've been looking forward to this next year, saying we had no idea that the grocery giveaway would open up so many doors into our community, so many different things that God is doing. And it's exciting. God is demonstrating here in Charleston that he is bringing all people's tribes and languages together. In fact, the, the Spanish-speaking people God has opened up the doors for us to reach has been Unbelievable a piece of property that we've been praying for a long time. God, uh, I know that this is where you want a Spanish-speaking church to be, and God has now opened up the doors and we're in partnering with them and, and, and seeing that church grow and other Spanish-speaking churches, but also wondering, okay, so what is that next for us? In fact, I've also tried to start learning Spanish because I know God's doing something there. God is bringing people uh, here to Hope Church. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we actually had somebody translating our first message into Spanish. And so, again, we don't know what God's doing, but we are so excited to see what's happening. Uh, Just a couple months ago, the first Chinese-speaking church was launched here in the Charleston area because of the influx of people uh, who speak Chinese into the area. And we've met the pastor who's here and leading that. and We're excited to partner with them through Mission Charleston. Uh, There is a, I believe there's at least one Portuguese-speaking church in Goose Creek, but there's a huge amount of people from Brazil that live there, and and leaders in Mission Charles are saying we have to recruit more Portuguese-speaking people and get churches planted that speak Portuguese. So how do we pray? How do we pray for that? And coming soon, if not already, Afghan refugees are moving to the area. And in a couple minutes after the message, Will's going to talk to you more about how we are now partnering and saying, what do we do to help? These are people that God is bringing to us, bringing to our doorstep for us to teach them about Jesus, to demonstrate the love of God. But the question remains the same. How are you aligning with God and His mission with your time, resources, resources, And relational equity. How are you aligning yourself with God? How are you demonstrating that you worship the one true God, capital G, and do your goals and do your different things that you want to see accomplished this year, does it align with his mission? Hope Church, I'm so happy. I'm so excited for this coming year. I'm so excited to see what God is going to do. I have no idea what it is, but it's going to be awesome because we serve an awesome, powerful, loving, gracious, compassionate God. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are. Lord, I thank you so much that you've given us this book that demonstrates your history and shows us over and over again your power, that you are a God that is always on the move, that you are the one true God, that you are loving and you are compassionate. Lord, I pray that you continue to work in our lives, You continue to work in in our lives as we demonstrate who you are. Lord, that our goal is to make your name great and not our own. That we try to build your kingdom and not ours. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.